0: Good, good morning. Yeah. good morning. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here for week four of our comeback series. You're the most amazing woman ever. It's a series we started doing uh, Easter Sunday morning. It's kind of loosely based on a book called The Comeback by Louis Giglio. And, and um, week one, like I said, it was Easter Sunday. And And it was all about the idea that because Easter changes everything that you and I can live. Wow. That was just thrilling for you, wasn't it? I could see how thrilled you were. Week two, we talked about uh, Joseph, the story of Joseph, and how the devil's intentions can never defeat the plan of God. Last week, we talked about Lazarus, and we said if death is defeated, then failure isn't final. And so this week we're going to remind ourselves that we all from time to time need to come back. A time when we must change direction or, or, or we'll face certain defeat or even failure. Um, so I'm going to ask you again, I've asked you every week, what is it that you need to come back from? Depression, addiction, disease, loss of a loved one, finances, financial strain, your career, Two things we've said every week, and I want, you to just, I want this to permeate your heart. These two ideas, number one, the tr- the, these two truths of the comeback. First of all, you're never too far. How many know you can't outrun the mercy of God? Oh, can I say that again until it sinks in? You can never outrun the mercy of God. You're never too far, and it's never too late. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you. And God, in this room, on this day, you've called us to this place. To no doubt speak to our heart. Would you do just that? In Jesus' name. I want to tell you a comeback story um, that predates many of us. In the early 1960s, John F. Kennedy gave this nation a challenge. We're going to walk on the moon by the end of this decade. We're going to walk on the moon. And things were progressing quite quickly. They were moving the space program forward quickly because at that point in our history, we were very competitive. We wanted to beat the Russians to the moon. It was a race. We wanted to beat the Russians to the moon. Our, our uh, dealings with Russia, the former Soviet Union, were very tense. Uh, this was right in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, we thought that there was going to be a, a war, another world war, because of the C- Cuban Missile Crisis. And so this was JFK's way of saying, let's put things back in order, beat the Russians to the moon. And all was going really well until Apollo 1 on its final test before launch. Now, here's what I need you to understand. Uh, They tell us in the Apollo 1 rocket spacecraft that there are 2 million parts. 2 million parts. And they said, and NASA said, we will launch with a 99.2% go rate. In other words, If 99.2% of those parts are working properly, we'll go to the moon. Which sounds pretty good, doesn't it? 0.8% of 2 million is 9,800 parts. How would you feel with your fanny strapped to a rocket, knowing that there may be 9,800 parts that aren't functioning properly or at all? You feel good about somebody else going to the moon like that, but you wouldn't get in that rocket, would you? No. And disaster happened. On the launch pad, three astronauts died because of a flash failure and a broken hinge. Immediately, the space program comes to a screeching halt. There's all sorts of talk about stopping this madness of trying to go to the moon and it it almost killed the space program but there were some astronauts that said you know we can do this trust our training we trust our technology we trust our research let us go to the moon so 18 months later we put men back in orbit and then on July the twentieth of nineteen sixty nine, this happened. Two one, two, one, zero. All engines running. Lift off. We have liftoff. Lift feet lift do down. Two and a half up from that. Armstrong said it's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. What you may or may not remember is he had to land that eagle on with a joystick. It was like, and, and you know, we didn't get to practice with PS4 back then. And so the space program experienced an incredible comeback, listen, after a fatal failure. An incredible comeback after a fatal failure. Anybody can relate to fatal failure? (laughs) See, there's failure and then there's failure. See, we understand that we've all failed. And I bet that most of us, most of us in this room have faced at one point in our lives, in our walk with Christ, a fatal failure. Let me explain. A fatal failure is that failure that you think, I just can't come back from this. This is too bad. It's too far. I've stepped too far over the line. Now, the idea of a fatal failure in your life, it, it's its pretty subjective. See, we don't all define fatal failure the same way. Uh, Maybe this will make sense. My son, Matthew, when Donna was homeschooling him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was in school, you know, I, C's get degrees. You know, if I passed, I'm good to go. Matt, if, 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 he, missed, if, if he was expecting a 100 and got a 98, it ruined his day. He would argue with my wife. He would argue with the answer key. And this is huge failure. On the golf course, my son Mikey. Now, here's the difference. If I shoot a 98, if I break 100, you will hear about it. I will tweet it. I will Instagram it. I'll take pictures of my scorecard. Everybody in the clubhouse is getting a hot dog. If Mikey shoots a 98, it ruins his day. See, failure is subjective. So what determines a fatal failure? Um, Let's let the Bible determine what fatal failure is. James chapter 1, you don't have this. James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 says this. Temptation comes from our own desires. So the next time you blame the devil on your temptation, understand it, it he's just bringing out what's already there. Temptation comes from our own desire, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And here's the here's the key line. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. When sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So... What am I supposed to do as a follower of Christ when I fail? What am I supposed to do as a follower of Christ when I sin? How do I come back from that fatal failure? So what we're going to do to answer that question today is to look at a story in the New Testament where someone that followed Christ intimately for three years failed him in the worst way. And I wonder if we look at his story, if you you and I can understand that there is hope after a fatal failure, because I believe that there is. Um, His name was Simon, but Jesus called him Peter. Um, Peter was a loose cannon at times, and and probably a little overzealous for his own good. Peter's mouth got him in trouble a good bit. Anybody relate to that? Yeah. And so hours before Jesus is arrested, Jesus has this conversation with all, the, all of his disciples, and he says, here's what's going to happen. They're going to arrest me, and all of you guys are going to scatter. I'm not mad about it, because it's in Scripture. We know, it was gonna, we know it's going to happen. So he, I'm going to get arrested. You're going to scatter. We'll fix it later. And then Peter bows up and makes this, makes this statement that, you know what? No, I'm going with you all the way. Even if I, I'll go with you to prison. I'll go, I'll die for you. And I, I have a funny feeling Jesus laughed at him. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 26, verse 34. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. So so Jesus didn't only call him out that he was going to fail. He told him how he was going to fail and how many times he was going to fail. And of course, Peter is not going to, you know, it's not like it's the son of God that just said this or anything. So he's going to argue with him again. Verse 35 says, but Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. So those of you that are here that are familiar with this story knows, know how end. it ended. It, end. It happened exactly as Jesus said it was going to happen. Peter denied him three times. So here's, here's what I want us, the, the first thing I want us to look at, if you're taking notes, write this down. And I've said this two or three times over the past few weeks. You didn't let God down. You, you were never holding him up. See, Jesus knew Peter was going to fail. So here's a question. I'm, I'm just going to just gonna lay this out there, and you can mull it over. The last time you failed, the last time you sinned, the last time you stepped off of God's plan, off of God's path for your life, did he know about it in advance? You know, what I think is interesting if, is that Jesus knew Peter was going to deny him, disown him three times. And just a few minutes before that, he was washing his feet. I'm not going to tell you that failure is a good thing. I am going to tell you that failure does not disqualify you from the grace of God. I'm not going to tell you that God wants you to fail. I am going to tell you that when you fail, that you have an advocate with the Father whose name is Christ Jesus. you didn't let him down you weren't holding him up so here's a question have you ever broken a commitment to Christ see if this sounds familiar God I'll never do that again the chuckles I heard tells me all I need to know God I'll never say that again I'll never let that come out of my mouth again God I'll, I'll never feel that again I'm letting go of this resentment once and for all. I'll never feel that again. I'm never going to let my anger get the best of me ever again. I'll never feel this way again. I'm never going to think this way again. I'm never going to let those thoughts come into my mind ever again. I'm never going to, no, I'm never going to do that. Is that resonating with anybody today? Hmm. Or maybe it looks like this. Okay, God, I'm going to be more committed from this point forward. I'm going to get up at four thirty in the morning and read seventeen chapters in my Bible and pray for an hour and a half. I'm, I'm I'm never missing another church service as long as I live. I will be there, except this Sunday because the race is on and you know how I am. I'll be more committed. God, I'm I, I'm beating this habit. I'm never doing this again. I this this thing that's been on me all my I'm, it's. Today's the last day. I I, I need you to understand something with me today. See, there are those that would teach you, that would want you to believe that there's some level of righteousness that you can attain that is somehow linked to your behavior. I'm so glad That the mercy God dispenses on my life doesn't hinge on my own righteousness, on my own behavior, because I would come up sadly short. (laughs) There's this story of redemption where Dwayne was broken and hurting and dying and sinful and on his way to hell. And Jesus rescued him. And Jesus rescued you. And here's what you need to know about that story. You're not the hero of that story. Jesus is the hero of that story. He did all he needed to do 2,000 years ago on an old rugged cross. You're not the hero. You're not holding him up. It's quite the other way around. Huh. Isn't that good news? The catalyst for God's mercy isn't you. Now, I'm not condoning sinful behavior. I'm just telling you, when it happens, it doesn't disqualify you from God's grace and mercy. Let's go on. If you're taking notes, write this down. On the brink of failure... Don't separate yourself from Christ. Look at what Peter did in Matthew 26, verse 58. But Peter followed him, what, what does it say? At a distance. Peter followed him at a distance. Peter followed him at a distance. And here's what I need you to hear. And I'm not telling you this just because I've read it in Scripture, I'm telling you this because I've lived this. When we're on the brink, when we're facing trial and temptation, we do what Peter and what the rest of the disciples did. We distance ourselves from Christ. In other words, I don't know why it is, but when failure comes into our life, the first thing we're going to stop doing is coming in the house of God. Our devotional life will begin to wane. And here's what you need to know. Peter did the exact same thing. After he failed, you know what he did? He went and picked his fishing rod back up again. Now, now, that might seem insignificant, but Peter committed to walking away from his life and and pursuing the cause of Christ. Jesus had already told him, you're going to take this message. We're going to build the, the the church on your shoulders. Peter failed, and what did he do? He went back to his old life. And I'm telling you, we do the same thing. We get in trouble, we go down a bad path, and the first thing we do is distance ourselves from Christ. And y'all, I, can I, can I just tell you this, how, how, how I've seen it in my own life, in the life of others? Can I, can I tell you how, how deadly that is? If there's ever a time you need to be around people who know how to love you and how to pray for you and how to encourage you, it's when you're in the midst of failure. Not the other way around, but what the enemy wants to do is to tell you, well, they're going to judge you. They're going to point a finger at you. They don't really care about you. They don't know what you're going through. And I'm telling you that if you'll find yourself in the midst of a fellowship, in the midst of, a community of the community of the body of Christ, we heal each other yes. with our fellowship and with our, with our encouragement. And you need to be here, and you need to be connect yourself. Can I tell you, when when, when when things go crazy, when, when, when finances are falling apart and when the kids aren't doing what they... The first thing we want to do is to distance ourselves. Huh. Watch this now. The, the reason Peter was around the campfire that he was around was because he was following Christ from so far apart. The reason he faced the temptation to disown Christ to begin with is because he was hanging out with the wrong crowd. Man, I'm going to say what I'm going to say to you with a broken heart. Man, I've seen it too many times, and especially as as a student ministries pastor, um, parents would come to me because their, their 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 teenager was struggling, and they were they were struggling, and and they wanted me to fix their kid. And the problem was, when, when we tried to get them involved in the things of God and we tried to help disciple them, there, was, there wasn't any time for that. Y'all aren't going to like what I'm getting ready to say, but I'm just, it's just true. There, there's time for everything but the, the discipleship of our families. And then they'll sit in my office and say, the devil stole my family. No, he didn't. You gift wrapped it for him. So we we go through this stuff, and, and and we find ourselves further and further away from Christ. And I'm telling you, that can't be our response. When you're broken and you're hurting and and you feel that failure, here's what you need to do. You need. To fall on your face and wrap your arms around the ankles of Christ and not let go. <sighs> Can I, I, I just need to say this in my heart. And, 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 and please don't misinterpret what I'm getting ready to say. I'm not saying that the answer is Church. I hope you didn't hear that when I, when I said what I just said. The answer is not church. The answer is moms and dads determining that the greatest job I have on this planet is discipling my children. Period. Yes. The cool part of this story is you, you really have to read it through literally all four Gospels. Because each, each author saw a little bit different piece of the puzzle. In, in, in Luke chapter 22, there's this amazing discourse between Simon and Jesus. Luke 22 verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. Here's what you need to know. If you're bought with the blood of Christ... If your life's been redeemed by the cross of Calvary, Satan's got to ask permission. Now, we're okay with that until something bad happens, aren't we? Satan has has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've... Listen, Jesus, the Son of God says, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon. How's it, it... It makes you feel good when Pastor Wayne calls and says, hey, I'm praying for you. I send you a text, say, I'm praying for you. Jesus is interceding for you you. at the right hand of the Father. And, And here's, and if you don't catch this, you'll miss a beautiful part of this story. But I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers when you in other words you're going to fail and when it's all over and you've repented i've got a plan for you so here's what you need to write down the provision for comeback is already in place the provision for comeback we know it as the cross of calvary I'd like to tell you, I had this conversation with a a pastor friend of mine this past week. And and we were having this conversation about whether a, a follower of Christ, a genuinely converted follower of Christ, can lead a completely sinless life. And so we're going back and forth and back and forth. And we we're actually in very much agreement and I, and so this is how i i ended the conversation well maybe it's possible i've just never seen it done in fact if you could lead a sinless life Jesus could have stayed right where he was so the provision for your failure the provision for your comeback is already in place we saw it on Palm Sunday, we went through the whole story of, of the crucifixion of Christ. And can I tell you, oh, it, man, if that just I don't care if you've been saved 50 years, when we understand what Jesus did on the cross of Christ, it ought to, it, it ought to break our heart. It ought, to, it ought to turn our hearts toward heaven. So having said that, I need just I need to say this. There are consequences to broken promises. See, I don't want to tell you that just because Christ recognizes your sin and understands your sin and, and, and in Peter's case even predicted his sin doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for our failure, right? Yeah. See, if, if you read the story um, in Matthew 26, Peter's around this campfire. He's around this campfire and, and starts answering these questions. Well, you're with him. No, I'm not. First time. A little girl said, hey, I saw you with him. No, you didn't. I don't know the man. Second time. Someone else said, you've got to be with him because your accent matches his. Bible says Peter cursed, said, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And the Bible says that when, and if you don't read it carefully, you'll miss this. The Bible says when that happened, Peter went away by himself and wept bitterly. Maybe, maybe we're at a place in your walk with Christ. Maybe because you love him so much that when you fail him, it hurts so that that's your consequence. See, I I believe in the mercy and grace of Christ. And I believe that if you murder somebody, God can forgive you and still use you in ministry. It'll probably be prison ministry. Because there are consequences. So I don't want to paint this picture that there aren't consequences to sin because there are. But aren't you glad that there's forgiveness and mercy? and restoration at the cross of Christ. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about two catalysts to come back from this story. And you really ought to look at John chapter 21 on your own. Because here's what the story... See, the the gospel could have stopped at John chapter 20. The story was really complete then. But there was a... Just a little bit of unfinished business that Jesus wanted to take care of, which is all that John 21 is about. I told you earlier, Peter had gone back to work, gone back to his boat, gone back to his old lifestyle. And and, and Jesus wanted to make sure that Peter understood what forgiveness and grace and mercy was really all about. And so Jesus shows up on the shore and starts cooking breakfast. That's just cool. Peter just shows up. I mean, Jesus shows up. They're out in the boat. He's cooking breakfast. And they, they see Jesus, and, and Jesus makes this statement. Look, listen, in, in John chapter 21, he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. In other words, they'd been out fishing, listen, all night long, and gotten Nothing. Any of you ever had a night full of nothing? Nobody wanted to raise their hand on that, but I bet more than one of us have had a night full of nothing. And so they they were professional fishermen. They'd been all over the place. And, and Jesus showed up and said, hey, why don't you just throw it on the other side of the boat? And I'm sure... How I many you know, if you're like me, when you're tired, you get sarcastic. Anybody like that at all? When you're, you know, you get mouthy when you... I'm sure somebody went, oh, we didn't think of that. The other side. Oh, okay, thanks. Where were you at 11 o'clock last night? And we saved us all a lot of trouble. But if you read the story, you know what happens. They, they threw it on the other side of the boat. And the Bible says that, that they couldn't contain the catch. And so maybe, write this down, maybe the catalyst for our comeback is radical obedience. Even when obedience doesn't make sense. God ever asked you to give something that didn't make sense? God asked you to go somewhere that didn't make sense? Somewhere like, I don't know, if Brian and Tanya are listening to this podcast, something like Phoenix, Arizona, that didn't make sense, did it? God ever, ever asked you to, to, to talk to somebody that and it just didn't make sense? God ever asked you to do something that just didn't make sense? Can I tell you that maybe the catalyst for coming back from failure is just, okay, God, I'm going to listen to what you say and I'm going to do what you say. I'll obey. I'll listen and I'll do what you say. Radical obedience. Maybe... I, Maybe God's dealt with you about a gift, then give it. Maybe God's dealt with you about a ministry, then start it. Maybe God's dealt with you about discipling. Just one person will call them this afternoon. Radical obedience. (laughs) Number two, second catalyst to come back. John 21, verse 7. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, listen to what he did. He put on his tunic for he'd stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. They're on the boat. He sees Jesus, jumps in the water. Anybody, anybody see Forrest Gump? What did Forrest Gump do when he saw Lieutenant Dan on the... He just jumped. And we all laughed. And the boat wrecked. So maybe maybe Peter's so overcome with his devotion for Christ and he knew what he'd done and he thought, I'll never see him again. See, in their minds, listen to me carefully. When Jesus died... And their mind, they'd forgotten all he'd said about a resurrection. And he was gone. And it was over. And it was done. And when they watched Jesus die, Peter was convinced that he'd he'd gone so far and there's nothing. And he saw Jesus stand on the shore. And I can't wait long enough. I can't wait till this boat gets back. I'm going over the shore and I'm going to let him know how devoted and how in love I am with him. So maybe the second catalyst for comeback is not just radical obedience. Maybe it's radical worship. See, y'all think you're, you're nervous now because you think I'm going to tell you to, you know, swing from the HVAC stuff <laughs> and get crazy in this building. I'm going to let you know something. The most radical worship you'll ever experience won't be in this building. It'll be when you're serving Jesus amongst his people. It, it'll, it may be in a, in a car all by yourself. You know, I, was, I was going over this stuff. Friday, and I'm I'm looking at my, at these notes on my screen, and and I'm playing this song, and Joy and Trace here in the office, and just so you know, if Joy and Trace are in a room, it's not quiet. Just letting you know that. And and and, and I'm I'm listening to this song, and I'm reading these words, that I'm saying to you and, about how Peter was just so in in love with Jesus, he couldn't wait for, and I just my, my eyes just just broke i want to love him like that i want to love him that if man i i'll I'll do whatever i got to do to get to him i want to love him like that i want to worship him like that i'm just going to tell you that you'll never you'll never find what you're looking for outside of the person of jesus christ You'll never find forgiveness. You'll never find mercy. You'll, you'll never find healing like you'll find in the person of Christ. And he deserves our worship. Yes. Hey, maybe radical worship is that Sunday when you don't feel it. Maybe it's that, it's that time when it's time to, to worship and, and we're not singing a song you like. Maybe it's when it's 74 degrees outside and clear blue skies. You don't feel like going to church. You'd rather hang out in your backyard. I get it. Maybe that's radical worship. If you're taking notes, write this down. God's purpose trumps your failure. In Matthew, earlier Matthew, in Chapter sixteen, Jesus and, Ma- and and Peter are having this conversation, and and Peter declares that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and, and and Jesus says something like this: Simon, flesh and blood didn't 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 reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And and here's here's the deal: we're not calling you Simon anymore; we're calling you Peter. Peter means rock, and and on this rock, on, on this rock, this confession that you've made. And this man, Peter, we're gonna build the church. That was God's purpose for Peter. And Peter failed, so obviously it was gone. Right? Obviously, God can't fulfill his purpose through a failure. Obviously, God can't fulfill his purpose of his son Jesus and his gospel being spread by somebody that denied that he even lived. Obviously, because Peter failed so miserably that that purpose was over and done and gone. Isn't that that the only logical conclusion? Well, if you read John 21, here's what Jesus said. Simon, do you love me? Then go feed my sheep. Go do what I told you you were going to do to begin with. God's purpose will trump Your failure, and maybe I I can't get away from this image of Jesus just making breakfast on the beach. And so, you know, if you continue this story, you're going to read into into the book of Acts, and the day of Pentecost, and then shortly after the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up and delivers this amazing sermon, and thousands flock. To believe in Jesus. And so and so people wonder what was the catalyst to Peter going from denying him, failing miserably, to being used mightily. See, I I think it was three things. I think it was the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. I think it was the fact of witnessing a resurrection. And I think it was the Savior. Showing mercy and grace with breakfast on the beach. Yes. Could it be? I think so. Donna, come and play. See, we're broken people. How many know that to be true? Yes. We've been doing this study. And we started this past Wednesday night. And this past Wednesday night it was, it, was, it, it was quite powerful the idea that we're all broken people and here's what we learned that the opposite of broken is new and what Jesus came to do was to make us new he didn't come to fix you he didn't come so you could turn over a new leaf he came to make you brand new In fact, here's what we read. See, I, I think sometimes we forget that, that a, a, most of the New Testament weren't written to unbelievers. Most of the New Testament was written to churches. And in John's first letter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, he says this, if we claim to be without sin, We deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. But, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. So I need you to know that if you're here and you believe that you failed him as a follower of Christ, there's forgiveness. There's restoration. His purpose is still available. It's still there. That your sin, your failure, my sin, my failure, failure doesn't stop God's plan. It's not that powerful. So when your head's bowed and your eyes closed, nobody's looking around, I just want to pray for you this morning. I just want to pray for you. And I, I started to say, who in here has failed? I think the better question would be, who in here has not? Because we've failed. We've intentionally, unintentionally stepped off of God's plan for our life from time to time. And again, I'm not not condoning that. I'm not telling you that that's a good thing. I'm telling you when that happens, there's mercy and grace and forgiveness and renewal and restoration available. So I want to pray for you. And just so you know, as we pray, if if you want to come and pray around these altars, that's more than fine. As always, they're open. Donna may lead us in this course a time or two. But if you're here... And, and the enemies lied to you and, and told you that, that you'd gone too far, that, that y- your behavior has disqualified you, from God' forgiving you, from God using you. I'm just telling you that that's a lie. In fact, what you think may have disqualified you could very well be the thing that God uses to bring glory to himself. pray for you. If you want to pray around these altars then then they're open. Father, in Jesus' name God, we're thankful for the cross of Christ. We're thankful for mercy that is new every day. We're thankful, God, that you have washed us that you've cleansed us, that you've forgiven us and God, thank you that there is hope beyond fatal failure There's hope beyond adultery There's hope beyond divorce, there's hope beyond bankruptcy, there's hope beyond foreclosure, there's hope beyond death there's hope beyond cancer thank you Lord that there's no trial, that there's no temptation, there's no circumstance that we'll ever walk through that's stronger than your grace God help us to live that today God, I want to pray for the ones that are here today who the enemy has deceived and told them that they were no longer qualified to be served, to be used in in the kingdom of God. That their failure was too fatal. God, thank you that today we've learned that your grace is sufficient, that your grace is enough. God, I pray for the ones that might have walked in here discouraged, might have walked in here lonely, defeated. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would wrap His arms of love and power and compassion around us all and understand that we're not the hero of this story. It doesn't hinge on our shoulders. It's Jesus, and He's enough. For that we give you glory and praise. in Jesus.